Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Why don't we start with the NBA Finals? Normally, when you're talking about a Finals MVP in a 2-2 series, that'd be a big waste of time, right? Why would you do that? That'd be a pretty dumb thing to do. Why would anybody discuss who the MVP might be after four games in a tied-up series? Normally, you have no idea how that series is going to turn out. you got to wait and see what happens in the next two or three games, right, before determining who that MVP might be. thing about that is what we're seeing this time is not normal. Steph Curry is not normal. And I'm pretty much okay. In fact, I'm better than okay. I'm totally fine with giving Steph the finals MVP right now. Win or lose, this guy is the finals MVP. Barring somebody else going for 50 twice in the next three games, that MVP is his. And if anybody's going to go for 50 twice in the next three games, it's probably Steph. But talking about Curry as the finals MVP at this point isn't about the fact that he's never won one before. That's not what I'm talking about. This is not about righting a historical wrong. Curry winning finals MVP this year isn't Martin Scorsese winning for The Departed. It's acknowledging that Curry is the best player on the floor right now on either team by a mile. It's not even close. Like Jason Tatum, he's looked great at times. Jalen Brown has been a force at times. But even at their very best, Steph Curry is still better. This is not a series without Curry. Warriors v. Celtics has become Curry v. Celtics. Right now, Curry is playing Boston's entire team to a draw. Boston sweeps this series without Curry. It's that simple. Without Curry, they'd already spend the entire weekend driving down Boylston Street with the Larry O, then taking those duck boats right into the Charles River, and they would still be tooling around Boston Harbor this morning. Instead, they get beaten by Curry in their own house, and they've got to fly back to Frisco for Game 5 tonight. I want to be really clear about what happened on Friday night. And why anybody is talking about the Finals MVP even right now. It's because Steph Curry put on a display for the ages. 43 points, 10 rebounds, 4 assists. And he did it with a bad foot against the best defense in the league in a really hostile barn. Like, not only has this guy been incredible. I'm not sure I've ever seen him be any better than he is right now. And again, he's doing it on a jacked-up wheel at age 34 in what amounted to an elimination game against the best defense in the NBA and again in a really hostile barn. And not only did he keep that series alive, he single-handedly ripped the home court back and he swung the series back in favor of Golden State. And he did it by doing stuff like this. And maybe some second shots. Curry again. Oh, Steph Curry from way downtown. He's furious. There was contact there. He did that, and he was burying daggers like this. Back to Curry. Step back. Three-pointer. Bang! Steph Curry drills the three. That's a six-point Warriors lead. Timeout, Boston. Thing is, to me, it wasn't even just about the production. I mean, it was that, but it was also the attitude, the heart, the fire, the grit, the fact that he effectively said to his team in all of Dub Nation, get the hell on my back. Get the hell on my back. I got this. Like, that wasn't just Curry versus the Celtics Friday night. That was Curry versus all of Boston. 
The entire town, the entire city. He had to fight the entire city, and he did, and he beat them, and he let them know about it. I mean, you got to admit, the crowd, my fellow Chowds, well, I'm half Chowd, they were so proud for how they got on Draymond in Game 3 and how they had more for Draymond in Game 4. And then they had some for Clay for his comments about them. Except as much as they wanted to, they had nothing for Curry. I mean, they did try. I guess we, well, half of me, did try. But 43-10 and 10 in your own house is going to shut you up pretty quickly. Think about this, quickly. Think about the single most dominant performance in a finals game you've ever seen. Think about that. Tell me what you come up with and then put Curry's game right next to it. Because that's a fact. It's right up there. That game Friday night from Curry is right up there with the very best ever. It was every bit as dominant as anything Jordan has ever done. And I know. I know for a lot of you Jordan honks, that's blasphemy. But it's true. Curry's Friday night line is right next to LeBron's 51-8-8 performance against Golden State a few years back. This is how dominant this guy is. How dominant we're talking. And again, it was not just the shot making, although there was a hell of a lot of that. It's about this guy's, and this has never been said about Steph Curry, but it's about his physical toughness as well. I mean, for all the incredible aspects of Curry's game, The shooting, the ball handling, the passing. The thing that's not appreciated enough, especially now, is how tough this cat really is. This dude is tough. Physically strong, mentally strong. And you'd have to be to put up 43 against this Celtics team. You've got to be tough as hell to make 14 of 26 and 7 of 14 from deep against these guys. Because you know they're out there to do one thing. Shut you down. They're not really worried about anybody else. And it's the way they go about it. The Celtics are big, they're physical, they're nasty. They bludgeon you to death. They beat you down. The grabbing, the holding, the hand checking, the body checking, everything. 48 minutes of hell against this crew is like 96 against anybody else. And despite all that, Curry's averaging 34 points. He's 50% from the field and 49% from three against his defense. And again, when his best was needed in the second half on Friday night, he brought it. Draymond said it, quote, he wasn't letting us lose. That's a fact. Boston has been focused on making sure that nobody other than Curry could beat them, and then Curry goes ahead and beats them anyway. Listen to Clay. The heart on that man is incredible. Uh, you know, the things he does, uh, we kind of take for granted from time to time. But to go out there and put us on his back, and, I mean, we got to help him out on Monday. So we got – but, um, wow, just uh, just showed why he is uh, – shocking he wasn't a first-team first NBA guy. But whatever. Next year. It's a good dig. Good dig from Clay. He's always got a good dig. Or five. He's so right about all the above. I mean, all of that's true. The heart – On that man is incredible. And the rest of the Warriors do have to help him out tonight. Like, I know he could carry them to two more wins. Believe me, I've seen enough to know that. But it would be a hell of a lot easier on him not to have to put the entire team on his back and then carry them up and down the floor for 48 minutes. Two more times. He could. 
But hopefully, for their sake, he doesn't have to. But let's be clear about this. As great as Curry was on Friday, he did not end that series. He swung it back in their favor, but he didn't end it because the Celtics are tough to end. They have been tremendous, in fact, not only in the playoffs, but since January, when they lose a game. They always bounce back. They never lose consecutive games. And they can win on the road. They've already done that once. So you know they're going to come into tonight knowing that they can do it again. Hell of a series. Crazy series. Great series. Boston is resilient as hell. But if Steph shows up again and shows out again tonight, the Celtics are going to have to go on the road and win a game seven. And I don't see that happening as tough as they are. So they went from being in control and being heavy favorites to having Curry stab them in the heart in their own house to now being in a must-win situation in a 2-2 series. I mean, right, it's 2-2. If you're Boston, you're telling yourself, we've won there before, it's 2-2. Seems to me, though, 2-2 has never felt shakier if you're Boston. And the best part of Curry going off is it puts that moronic Draymond caring more about his podcast than the series narrative on hold for a day or two. Hey now, are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And clones, if you don't see it, just ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? If I'm talking college baseball right now, and it does not involve the UC Santa Barbara Gauchos, then either something really awesome or really terrible happened. And for the Vols, it was really terrible. And for everybody else, including Lane Kiffin, it was really awesome. Because Tennessee went into the Super Regional this weekend as the number one team in the country. Not just the best team in the country, but honestly, they were getting run as one of the best teams ever. They set program records for wins and for home runs. They won the SEC regular season and tournament titles. And they swung big bats and they talked even bigger junk. I mean, the entire thing. Bat flips, stare downs, you name it, they did it, and they did it all year long. And their matchup with Notre Dame in the Super Regional was supposed to be nothing more than a coronation. Beat the crap out of the Irish, head to Omaha, and walk it off with a trophy. Like, (laughs) straight cash, homie. One problem, Notre Dame beat them in game one Friday. Then finish them yesterday, stunning the Vols in their own house and shutting down that greatest of all time talk pretty quickly. But the beating that Notre Dame put on them on the field was nothing compared to the one that former Vols head football coach Lane Kiffin put on them on Twitter. Because everything about Tennessee's weekend was miserable. There was the fact that Notre Dame beat them on Friday and Tennessee's center fielder and pitching coach were run in the fifth inning. Then Vols fans took that horribly. According to the Knoxville News, quote, fans 
threw trash on the field at Lindsey Nelson Stadium on Friday. And Tennessee Vols baseball center fielder Drew Gilbert and pitching coach Frank Anderson were ejected in the bottom of the fifth versus Notre Dame. Among the items on the field was a mustard bottle. The mustard bottle along with a golf ball were infamous items that littered the field when fans threw trash on the field at Neyland Stadium during a Tennessee Ole Miss football game in 2021. End of quote. All right, so the mustard bottle and, well, no golf ball. But you know what that was? That was like a bat signal to Lane Kiffin because Lane picked up his phone and he's on Twitter retweeting that article and adding, quote, Mustard bottle thrown on field after Tennessee's Drew Gilbert ejected with a thinking emoji and then added, at Vol Football, where is the golf ball? At Vol Sports. Lane Kiffin is the best. I mean, the absolute best. You find me one other college football coach in America who's going to troll a former employer that hard and do it in June about something that happened in a different sport. Find me one more guy like that. I'd say that we need more people like Lane, but it's not possible. This dude is one of one. You can't find anybody else like this guy. And here's my advice to you Vol fans. When he does troll you that hard, you got to let that go. You have to wear that. Because you are not going to beat this guy. You are bringing a mustard bottle to a knife fight. A mustard bottle to a dude rolling in a tank. But some didn't take my advice. Somebody actually did try him. Somebody did. Quote, poor little Lane. Still wishing he was a vol. Speaking of, how was your son Knox? Some rando tried him with that. Lane came back with a body bag. Quote, awesome. Thanks for asking. We are watching Ole Miss baseball advance to the College World Series. What are you guys doing today in Knoxville? End of quote. Flawless victory. Fatality. Shut it down. Let's go home. You try to get cute on Twitter, and Lane buries you alive. You and your baseball team just got torched by a football coach 400 miles away. Notre Dame was blasting home runs, and Lane was the one who ran onto the field to pimp those bombs, style those shots, stomp all over home plate. I mean, seriously, Volfan, how much did that weekend suck? I tried to warn you, man. Do not try Lane. You have to wear that. Try him and you will get body bagged. Just like that rando. Like I know the Vols baseball team talked a lot of junk. I've got no issue with that. I know they're known for it. And their fans loved it and joined in. That's fine. But you can't do that when you're getting knocked out at home in one of the worst losses ever. And you definitely can't do it when you're talking to Lane Kiffin. Because this is what this guy does. He coaches football and he talks junk. To quote the great Lil Wayne. Smoke weed, talk bleep, like Lane Kiffin. Smoke weed, talk like Lane Kiffin. 
And now a message from my friends at Discover, and it's all about rewards. If you're a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for that loyalty, preferably with something that is useful, you know, like cashback match, for instance. Discover matches all the cashback that you have earned at the end of your first year. Finally, rewards that actually make sense. Discover exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations do apply. And here he is, Brian Scalbrini, my guest. Scal, it's great to have you back. How are you? I'm doing well. It's like uh, this series. I'm down in the Bay Area getting ready for Game 5, and should be another classic. Game 4 was ridiculous. Scal, Game 4 was ridiculous. In fact, I want to get to tonight's game in a moment, but why don't we go back to Friday for a second. It seems weird, Scal, to say this about a perennial All-Star and a two-time league MVP, but is there any part of you that feels like the fans still do not fully understand or grasp just how great Steph Curry is? Yeah, 100%, because you know fans love people that dunk or turn the corner and rise up on you and all that stuff. But the way what he does is actually more impressive. And Jim... I played with Jason Kidd. I played with Garnett, Pierce, Allen. I saw Derrick Rose win the MVP one year when I was in Chicago. And I was more impressed with Steph Curry my one year coaching him. And that was before he had the MVP season. I was just impressed across the board. He never lost a game of pickup. He always came up big. He, he lived for the moment, but he wasn't, it didn't overwhelm him. You know, there's some guys that are like, they're so competitive that it's like debilitating. Garnett was like that at, some, at, at times. But Steph Curry just, like, lived for the moment, loves the moment, loves the big moment, and, like, nothing really bothers him. I was just completely impressed by him when I was around him for a year, and I just don't think people understand his greatness. Yeah, add that to the resume. I love the fact that you coached him and those guys, Brian Scalabrini, joining us. Like, Scal, when he's playing at that level, is there anything that you can do defensively to stop him, or do you just have to hope that he misses? Yeah, I wonder if the Celtics would have went early blitz. I think... Uh, the the one thing that Steph Curry will do will get rid of the ball when he when when he sort of is getting trapped uh, not like when he's 35 feet from the basket just crossing over half court. I do think that sometimes he dials it back or downshifts a little bit. But with the Celtic defense, they're not going to make all these compromises if a guy is making ridiculous shots. But you know that that's what he was doing. Uh, Jim, he wasn't squared up. He wasn't balanced. He was drifting. He shot a 17-foot runner like it was a layup. I just, I just never seen like the dominance and the ease at which he was doing things. Like basketball is a sport that is not supposed to be that easy, and that's why we've probably never seen a performance like that from an individual. We've seen some physical performances. That was all skill, will, and thrill. That's extremely high praise coming from you, Scal. And let's not forget, this guy's doing it on a bum foot against the best defense in the NBA in a really hostile barn in what I would argue was a must-win game. And he's still doing all that and making it look easy. So, Brian, Boston is 7-0 in the postseason after a loss. They've already won in San Francisco in this series. What is it about this team that they seem to thrive and be at their best after losing? And how do you think they'll show up tonight? So, Jim, you know the NBA is it's there's small things, right? It's it's like putting your foot on the accelerator when you get a ten point lead. I think when they come off a loss, I think the mentality is a like. Of course, they always come out like on edge and everything like that. But I think the mentality is to to you know to shift it into overdrive and like no lead is is enough. Like we're gonna beat this team by. Man, they've had like in the Garden, they've had wins of twenty and twenty three points and. They beat the, the Warriors by 16 points. It's just, 
they respond when they're in that type of situation. So I really just feel like the, the only difference is they never take their foot off the gas. And in those games, at times, you could see them, like, they just downshift. And I don't know why. I don't, I don't know if they're worried about it. They're scared of losing. But the biggest thing to me is they don't downshift when they're coming off of a loss. They want to destroy you, and they want to remind everybody of how good they are. Yeah, and Scal, not just in the postseason, but that's the way it's been with this team since January. They've done this most of the year. Let me ask you this, though. I mean, at the same time, and, and I get all that, and I believe all that, but they were this close to being up three games to one, and now they're in a real battle. Do you think, is there any, any doubt that's crept into their mind at all going into tonight, or do you think it's exactly what you just said, they will show up the way they always do after a loss? I, I have no doubt. I mean, I, I just know these guys are going to like show up, and I know like the narrative is to make these big swings. Just like I picked to get with the Golden State Warriors to win in four, I'm picking the Celtics to win in five. And I just th- think that they're a better team. They're bigger. They're more physical. Uh, the only difference is they have these lapses. And you just know, like in the NBA Finals, people ask, what's the difference between the NBA Finals and a playoff game? I think the opponent you're playing with is so good that if you make, let's just say you throw three possessions away, for the Warriors, that could be 9-0 in a second. And therefore, now you're climbing yourself out of that hole. There's other teams where you can like kind of blow off a possession here and there, and they don't turn that into an insurmountable lead. I think with the NBA Finals, and I think the Celtics actually played really well. I think the only problem is like in the fourth quarter, they, they just couldn't match bucket for bucket from a guy who was making incredible shots. But they have these moments after, uh, after wins where it's a bad four and a half minutes. And I just think the Warriors are too good and Steph is too good and all their players are on the verge of, of exploding, even like a Clay Thompson or Andrew Wiggins, that it's insurmountable to come back from, especially when you have an all-time great like Curry. Talking to Brian Scalabrini, a scout. It's a good thing I haven't hit Golden State on the money line yet. You're starting to talk me out of it. I'm just being honest. Hey, listen, what about that? When you mentioned they've got other guys besides Curry, like if you're Boston, obviously you want to make Curry work for his points. But at this point, who is their second biggest concern on the Warriors roster? Who do they have to make sure doesn't get off who's not named Steph Curry? Yeah, so it's just, it's a, it's pieced together. Wiggins on the glass. Kevon Looney at the basket. You got to make him pay for the lack of spacing. You know, Draymond Green has been awful. And you know me, like, I don't, I think we've talked about, I love Draymond Green. He's one of my favorite players in the NBA, but I could have a favorite player in the NBA and defend him and just say, like, the guy's just been playing bad. Like, he's just not very good right now. Clay Thompson has had his moments of knocking down shots. I think what they're doing is using, like, kind of spit and glue to get those guys to where they need them to go. And it's, it's, it'll be a Wiggins for a, a hot second. It'll be a Clay Thompson. It'll be Draymond Green with a throwback performance. I think that's how they have to do it. You can't count on Clay Thompson to have 30 points and a half like he has in the past. But those guys are all and, – and, you know, like when you're playing off of Steph Curry and he's drawing two – it is a lot easier to play when you're like that next tier of the level of the player. Hey, Scout, what do you think is going on with Draymond? Like, I'm like you. I love Draymond. I love Draymond unapologetically. Is he not what he was? Is it what Boston is doing to him? Is he taking himself out of the game mentally? Like, what do you think is going on in this guy's head? And what's going on on the floor with Draymond? Yeah, so, so let's just talk about the game first, right? We'll get into the IQ in a second. The game, right? Like, he's not finishing... And maybe it's the Celtics, Robert Williams, Al Horford at the rim. Even Grant Williams does a decent job of using rule of verticality. So when you can't finish in the NBA, you don't get respect. And I don't mean they disrespect you, but they don't – like when Draymond drives, they don't help out anymore. People don't come off the body. They just say, we're going to meet you at the rim and make you finish over us. So 
therefore, like a great decision maker, he's a great decision maker because people have to be uh, worried about his threat at the rim. He's just not finishing at the rim anymore. So then let's go to the IQ. Here's where I'm a little bit surprised. So Draymond Green, and see, I, I interviewed Steve Kerr three days ago, and he's like, we love when Draymond cracks that free throw line, gets inside the free throw line. Like he's attacking and he's cracking the free throw line. And he said that to me, and I'm thinking, Draymond, you know, this is, guy, this is a guy that's going to get inside the free throw line. He's going to have a good night. I don't think he was bad, but from the IQ standpoint, I, I, I feel like where he's playing on the floor is not ideal for Steph Curry and the Warriors. And that's the only thing that I'm, 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 I question. Like, I know he's a really smart player. Get downhill, get out of the way, like set a screen, fly out of there, like create some space, create some rotation. And he hasn't done that, and I'm not sure why. But I do expect him. I do think that that's the best way to beat the Celtics defense, and I do expect him to do it. But I just can't understand why he hasn't played that IQ game, which we've uh, known and love, and that's why he's one of my favorite players. Brian Scalabrini doing what he does. Brian, what about Jason Tatum? He has struggled offensively in the fourth quarter of the series. He's taken a lot of heat for it. But in your opinion, does Boston need him to score and dominate in order to win? Get downhill. I don't think it's score. But he has to have an aggressive mindset. And, uh, you know, like, I feel like, and you tell me, Jim, when you watch, I feel like Jason Tatum predetermines what he's going to do when he catches the ball as opposed to just play. You know, like, I'm, I'm, like, he is six foot nine, six foot ten. He spends all this time in the weight room, built his body up to sustain all this. You know, he might be ailing a little bit because that's the only thing I can imagine why he's not as aggressive as I would like him to be. But if that guy gets downhill and just makes play, simple play, they don't have to be crazy plays. Just, just gets downhill and makes plays, drives closeouts, does stuff like that, I, I'm, I'm assuming he'll have a good game. I just feel like he's kind of catching and wondering, should I shoot this time, should I pass this time? And against the, the Warrior defense, which is one of the best scrambling defenses in the NBA, that's not the way you want to attack them. You want to attack them fast, you want to attack them quick, and you want to attack them often. And from there, I think the good things will happen. That's what makes Tatum such a good player. But I think there's a little bit of predetermining on, I need to score this, or I need to make this pass, and I need to make the assist. For him, he's so good. He, all he has to do is just play and be aggressive. I, I tend to agree with that. It seems kind of robotic to me. It seems kind of mechanical to me. It seems like he's kind of thinking his way through it as he's doing it as opposed to just playing and flowing. And, and I have the highest regard for this guy. I think he's amazing. I think he's an amazing scorer at times. I think the guy puts in the time, puts in the work. I love him, but I'm not seeing a complete game from him. But I don't think he needs to dominate for them to win. Let me ask you about Marcus Smart. He told you recently that the biggest change for Tatum and Jalen Brown over the course of the year was their maturity and their selflessness. So, what do you make of that comment? Does that feel right to you? Are you as impressed with them in that regard as Marcus Smart is? Yeah, I, I've been saying that for two and a half years, Jim. You know, I, I covered this team, and you know, everybody on our station wanted us to go get another guy, and we're not good enough with these two guys. I'm like, no, man. The answer is right in front of you. Like good players make people around them better, and they—it's not just with assists. It's making simple plays that make people better. I played with some guys that were all-time greats, and they draw double teams. They move it, and eventually a hockey assist comes my way, and I get a wide-open shot because of it. So I've always been like those guys just have to make plays. They just have to get make simple plays. And if you get if you touch the ball sixty times and you make fifty simple plays, you're going to end up getting like you know seven, six, seven assists. And I felt like like that's where they needed to grow like everything didn't have to be spectacular finish at the rim spectacular shot step back or spectacular pass sometimes just doing the simple things like that get ignored by the general public are the best plays that make you such a winner he is an nba champion an 11-year nba vet 
Great college player, Celtics analyst at NBC Sports Boston, Odyssey NBA insider, and he said it. Scal said, I will come back on during the finals if you want me. I said, hell yes, I want you. Scal, you are the best. I appreciate it, Brian. I know it's a really busy day and a really busy time for you. Thank you so much for coming back on. Give me your pick, Jim. I just want to know your pick before. Like You're thinking what tonight? I was thinking Golden State on the money line for sure. Golden State to win, but you made a pretty persuasive argument. Like I started the morning on the fence, and nobody likes this. Nobody wants to be that guy. Nobody wants to hear that from me. But I really was yeah. on the fence, leaning Golden State, and then I had that conversation with you, and you kind of talked me off it. Uh, I'm on the fence still, brother. Yeah, the bounce back, man. I'm telling you. This I know. It. Has a lot it's of real. Back in them. Always. 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 <laughs> Eh, I want to think about that a little bit longer. I'll hit you up before the end of the day. Appreciate it, Scal. Thanks Thanks so much, bro. Trade pros. Whether you specialize in service or new construction, Ferguson knows firsthand how much work goes into a long day on the job, which is why we're committed to offering the products and solutions to get every job done right. With over 1,000 locations, an unmatched selection of specialty products, tools, and supplies, our pro pickup and same or next day delivery, you can trust that doing business with Ferguson will be the easiest part of your hard day's work. Visit ferguson.com to find a counter location near you. Joe Musgrove is my guest. Joe, it's great to have you on. How are you? Good, man. How are you doing? Good. Glad to be with you. Good. It's great to have you, Joe. Appreciate you. So you're coming off another dominant performance on Friday, as I mentioned. You struck out eight and six innings. You did not allow a run. You're 7-0. I mean, probably your mindset was similar going into that game as any other game, but what was your mindset going into that game, and how pleased were you with the way it, you showed up? Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't have my sharpest stuff. It was, you know, one of those days where you go out there with expectations of, of having all your weapons and you feel really good. And, you know, the morning leading up to a game in the bullpen and then you get on the mound and everything goes out the window and it's pure survival mode. So I feel like I was using, um, you know, different weapons than I usually do, not my normal, you know, put away type stuff. But um, to be able to get out of there with no runs and eight punch outs, that was a successful night for sure. Joe Musgrove joining us. I would imagine if you show up and all of a sudden the stuff that you think is going to be there isn't there, you've got to rely on mm-hmm. something else. You've done some really interesting work mentally this past offseason with some, quote, deep water fitness. I jump right to that because you're doing things like underwater dumbbell walks, underwater mm-hmm. scavenger hunts, breathing exercises. Mm-hmm. Like, what got you into this type of training and what? What was your biggest takeaway from it? Yeah, I think just being curious, man, and trying to find something different to, to change the game up for me. You know, physically, I'm always working on, you know, the baseball side of things with, you know, attack plans and the physical aspects of pitching. But, you know, you can always improve somewhere. And I feel like the mental part is where I've had the biggest struggles. You know, I've gone out there with some of my best stuff on nights and um, feel like I've gotten in my own way mentally and not been able to, you know, to reach the full potential. So trying to find something different, it was actually – it was introduced to me by one of our uh, our trainers with the team. He set me up with this guy that was an ex-Marine that specialized in water survival training. And, um, you know, he kind of opened my mind up to the possibilities that your body's capable of if you just kind of let your mind get out of the way and let your body act. So um, doing that stuff for the whole off season, just putting myself in that constant position of uncomfortability and um, you know, a little bit of unknown, just with having to hold your breath underwater, I think it made me a lot more comfortable in those uncomfortable situations. But, that That's amazing. You know, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, ultimately, you know, my, my stuff, you know, pitching-wise on the mound, the, the weapons I'm using aren't all that much different than they were last year or the year before. But, um, you know, through that class and, you know, understanding, you know, how important the internal talk is and the way that you speak to yourself in your own head and uh, the way that you process some of these things and the perspective that you have on certain scenarios um, can affect your performance a lot. So, 
trying to incorporate some of that stuff into the season for me. And um, right now, I, I just feel like I'm I got the perfect combination of the right amount of confidence, the right amount of humility, respect for the game, uh, the right amount of fear. You know, everything's just kind of you know the perfect storm right now. Dude, that is an amazing response. Like, I, I never step on a guest the way I stepped on you because I was so into that response. And then that's just mm. gold. That That is amazing. Like, really quickly, I, I probably would not fare too well in an above-ground scavenger hunt. What is an <laughs> underwater scavenger hunt? Uh, so we all, we're all facing, you know, the edge of the pool. So you're going to get the, the, all the waters to your back. Um, and he's got assortments of underwater torpedoes. Um, goggles, uh, snorkels, all different kind of items. And uh, he'll throw 10, 15 items in there or whatever. And it's a 12-foot pool that's, you know, 50 meters long or whatever. So when he sends you off, you got to take a big breath. You're going underwater. And it's being able to decipher how many items are out there and quickly process what's the most efficient way to get all of these items and get back to the wall in one breath. So it was a little bit of, you know, mental thinking to try to put together a strategy in, in, a, in a short amount of time. And then being efficient enough to swim out there, grab all these items, and not burn up all your oxygen and make it back to the wall. So um, there's all different kind of things that we did in that workout class, but that was one of the funner ones because it was usually three or four of us trying to go pick up 15 items. So you're working as a team to figure out who's going to go get what, and the guy with the best breath hold is going to go after the farthest items. Uh, it became a lot of fun for us. Joe Musgrove joining us. So one more thought about that. What is your best breath hold now? Like when you started, how long could you stay underwater? And then now, how long can you stay under? Oh man, dude! I thought I was pretty good when I went into that class. I think I got a minute eighteen in my first my first workout with them, um, and I did I think probably sixteen, seventeen sessions every Wednesday from October until spring training. And the last uh, the last breath hold I had was four oh two. Whoa, four yeah. minutes plus <laughs> underwater! Wow, dude, that is Big. amazing. That, that's incredible. And, and again, not only staying underwater, but processing things and executing things it really is yeah. amazing. I can see where that would help you mentally. So you've gone six or more innings in 11 straight starts. That's a team record. And the team has gone 10 in one of those games. How much pride do you take in the fact that your teammates know that every single time you take the mound, that team's got a great chance to win? Yeah, man, I think that's something that every pitcher strives for, the starting pitchers at least. You know, you want it to be win night when you go to the park. Um, you know, you want your teammates to look up at the at the lineup card that day and, you know, see your name on the mound and, and know that they got a good chance to win and that if they can push one or two runs across, they got a really good chance to win. So, in a sense, I feel like, you know, some of my teammates play up a little bit when I'm on the mound just because the numbers are the way that they are and, and that we haven't really lost. I think we've lost one game uh, when I've been on the mound. So, that is a good feeling to be seen as a winner. Um, but yeah, there's, you know, there's so much that goes into it. So it's really just, you know, worrying about my aspect and my part of the game. And then, you know, just trying to fuel the guys, be efficient, be quick, get our guys, you know, off the field and back in the dugout to hit, um, you know, a lot of things go into that, but yeah, being seen as that guy that can go out there and get the job done consistently is a really good feeling. Hey now, are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And clones, if you don't see it, just ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? 
Padres pitcher Joe Musgrove joining us. Joe, I'm really happy to have this conversation because we have a lot of listeners in San Diego. That said, you're from El Cajon. You played your high school ball at Grossmont. You used to go to Padres games growing up. So when you started to fall in love with the game, knowing all that, like what does it mean to you to be not only playing for but dominating for your hometown Padres? What's that feel like? Oh, man, dude. It's, it's something that I you know, never would have expected. Um, you know, as a kid, you watch. I grew up, like you said, going to Padre games at, at Jack Murphy and Qualcomm Stadium. And then, you know, the first couple of years of Petco, we had season tickets out in right field. So, you know, all my love for the game and my first memories of the game came watching Padres games. And, you know, seeing guys like PV and Hoffman and Klesko, Nevin, um, you know, all those guys when I was a young kid, that's what, you know, really sparked my love for the game. So the idea of getting to the big leagues alone was um, – it would seem like a far enough shot, but, you know, the opportunity to come back and play in San Diego and have the success I'm having, I mean, that's nothing that you can really even dream of. So it's been uh, it's been a lot. And like I said earlier, you know, the, the right amount of humility and respect for the game and then the fear of failure back in my hometown. You know, I, I don't want to be the one that, you know, that fumbles the ball and, um, and blows the opportunity throwing back at home. You know, I think the fear of failing in front of all my friends and family in the city where everyone knows me has been a big motivator for me. So... Um, you know, trying to keep myself humble a little bit and, and remind myself how, how quickly things can go south, but also ride that wave of uh, the hot streak that I've been on. You know, I'm holding on to you, Joe, as long as I can. I want to say that I got to San Diego myself way, way, way back in the day. I got there in 1990, so I saw all those years. I can remember the years where, you know, I, I considered Kevin Towers a pretty good friend, even though I try and stay objective. I was a huge, right. huge Ken Camnitty guy, Steve Finley, all those great, great years and great times. You know, and then you move ahead a few years. There's another great story from back in the day. When you were growing up, your glove got stolen. Your mom contacted Padres <laughs> broadcaster Mark Grant and asked where she could get a big glove. You pick up the story. What happened from there? Yeah, so uh, my, my dad had bought me a new glove, and he always stressed the importance of taking care of my things and right. making them last. You know, so I could use them for years. And sure enough, about a month after I get this new glove, I jerking off with my friends after the game and I leave the glove in the dugout it gets stolen so my mom reaches out to Mark Grant who's been a good friend of the family and um goes up to our coffee shop all the time and asks him about this glove and he goes in the clubhouse and is kind of making laps around seeing who's got a glove laying around and um big 610 Chris Young pulls a brand new glove out of his locker in the wrapper and says you know give this to the kid and Mark gave it to me, and I used that for my entire high school career all four years. I think it was like a 13-inch glove when I was 15 years old, so it was weighing me down out there. But I was just so stoked to have a big leaguer's glove and, you know, showing it off to all my friends. And I still have that glove to this day at the house, at my parents' house. So um, that was a really, really cool memory for me as a kid. Dude, how terrified were you to come back home and tell your parents you lost that glove? Like, I, I, oh, I mean, man, you have no idea. Oh, no, I do, though. I do. I didn't even want to come home. No, I do, because I'm a father, and I have two kids who played baseball, and we have that talk all the time, especially now that bats are so expensive. I'm like, oh, hey, gosh, hey don't be an idiot. Take care yeah. of your stuff. Take care of yeah. your stuff. I bet you were terrified. So one last thought, Joe. When Fernando Tatis suffered that injury a while back, it seemed natural to think that you guys might get off slowly, but here you are right in the battle for a divisional lead without him. How much talent is there on this roster, and then what kind of expectations do you have for him when he does return and the team? Yeah, man, I think it says a lot about the uh, the integrity of the team and, um, you know, the confidence that we have in one another. Um, you know, and if you look at our lineup, you know, there's two guys in there that are up around 300 um, in Manny and Haas. And other than that, we've been, you know, a little shaky throughout the lineup at times. Um, and it's something that's not going to stay this way. We have a lot of good players on this team and a lot of really good hitters. And 
some of them just haven't hit their stride yet. But what we've done a really good job is of, you know, realizing that and playing a little bit of small ball when we need to. I mean, Grisham's had um, two safety squeezes that have pushed runs across and ended up winning us one-run games in both of those games. Um, the ability to move runners over to steal bases and get in scoring position so that the sack fly score runs instead of leave guys stranded. Um, we played really smart baseball, and, and with Toddy, you know, he's obviously the, the centerpiece of that lineup there right around Manny and Haas, but, um, you know, I understand as a 22, 23-year-old kid, it's, um, you know, it's a lot of excitement, but it is a lot of pressure. And when you're out for as long as he's been out and you're coming back to a city that had a ton of excitement and a ton of energy coming into this year, you know, there could be a lot of expectations and a lot of pressure on you to come in and save the day should we be in a spot where we're below 500 or a few games, you know, out of reach of, of being in contention. So I think it was important for us to, you know, to maintain the, the pace that we've maintained, stay with those top dogs in the division, and, um, you know, kind of consider it as a midseason acquisition of one of the best players in the league. So I think if we're rolling and we're, you know, on a hot streak when he comes back, it's just adding fuel to the fire as opposed to being in a little bit of a hole in a swamp and expecting him to come in and kind of pull everybody out. And I know him as the type of player he is. He's a competitor. He's a winner. So naturally he's going to feel that to come in and, and pull us out of the fire should we be in that situation. So, you know, it's good. It's a good thing that we're playing well and that we're getting by with, you know, what we've done because I don't feel like we're nearly at our best as a team yet. But, um, you know, having him back adds a lot of energy to the team and uh, another big bat in the lineup is super helpful. Hey, listen, Joe, maybe I'm out of line because I'm not there, but it seems to me not only are you leading a rotation with a lot of talent, but you are one of the leaders in that clubhouse. Not an easy thing to do when you take the ball every fourth or fifth day, but I, I cannot tell you how impressed I am with what I hear, and the team looks just great. He's a World Series champion. He is 7-0, and as I mentioned. Leads the majors in ERA, second in wins. Padres at the Cubs tonight. Didn't mean to keep you so long, Joe, but it was that good, so I couldn't let you go. Really appreciate that conversation. No, it's a blast, man. I've watched your show for a long time, so... Uh... Uh, it's an honor to get to speak with you and finally get on there. So I appreciate you having me. No, I really appreciate you, Joe. I've been looking forward to it for a long time, and you just smashed all expectations. But I knew it would be great. Appreciate you, Joe. Thanks so much. Joe Musgrove. Good night!